So we are here with the trio, including Dan, Kevin, and myself. Dan is going to take it away. He He's found some interesting uh, correlations with uh, pollution and stuff going on. So we'll just have Dan get right into it. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought we were going to we talk about, well, all these things that kind of go into Valentine's Day. Like, you know, your traditional, like we talked about roses last week, uh, or like the prickly rose last week. And, um, you know, that's kind of the go-to when you think of Valentine's Day. It's roses, chocolate, and jewelry, and basically all these kind of gifts that uh, you want to give to your significant other. And I just thought, well, with a lot of these things, and we kind of touched a little bit on it last week, was with the prickly roses, that potentially might be a <laughs> nice alternative to getting your traditional, you know, cut flower stuff that you get at your florist. So anyways, I thought I'd kind of go a little bit back in time and look at the history of, you know, the day itself, Valentine's Day, just as something interesting, the bridge version of it, and then kind of get more into the uh, environmental impacts of some of these gifts or things that you give to other people. So anyways, yeah, I'll start with the history of it all. And um, yeah, so the initial concept uh, of the themes for what we know kind of today of Valentine's uh, day can be traced back to it, it's kind of wishy-washy because there's not really a concrete this is where it started exactly and by this person or by this event or whatever but there's uh, there's enough information there that a lot of people have kind of uh, come up with conclusions but it's still not like a for sure thing but for the most part what we know as valentine's day today can be traced back to pre-christian roman era kind of around the third century um, so between 200 and 300 AD, and there were a few saints with the name Valentine or Valentinus, Tinus, mm-hmm. who performed various Valentino? acts that went against. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who performed various acts that went against the Roman emperor's uh, rule at the time? Because uh, yeah, they weren't too keen on you know Christian ideals. Um, but then, of course, that changed. Uh, one of those acts included by, yeah, by one of the Valentines, uh, saints, I guess, uh, one of those acts included performing marriages in secret, uh, as they were outlawed by the emperor at the time, because uh, he thought single men made better soldiers. So that's why he's very against, like, uh, nah, I don't want you to be married. I want, uh-huh. <laughs> I want all my men single so that they'll fight better and not be distracted by having a wife or having a family. Yeah. Um, that's funny. So yeah, that yeah, <laughs> and then there's another Valentine. Hmm, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was I just made me think. I think it would probably backfire because all the single men would actually probably be more promiscuous without being married, and then they would be more distracted. But whatever. Yeah, I yeah, I would kind of think like <laughs> guys would be a little more uh, <laughs> preoccupied with like, oh well. I'd like to be with a woman right now, but no, I'm fighting this war right now. I'm just constantly having those thoughts versus like, well, if you did allow marriage, I think maybe you would be a little more focused, but yeah, yeah. who's to say? When in Rome, um, we roam. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, there's another St. Valentine, uh, a bishop, or yeah, a bishop who's believed to have helped uh, some Christians escape like uh, Roman persecution uh, because again, yeah, wasn't wasn't uh, a good time to be a Christian. <laughs> and so it was alleged that this Valentine in particular was the first to send a Valentine's greeting uh, to his, well, when he got caught to his jailer's daughter, who he fell in love with, and he signed a note saying, from your Valentine. So that's where ah. a lot of people speculate where kind of that, <laughs> where it kind of started. 
at least with Valentine's greetings. So Too bad that, it was a jailer's it, daughter, though. I think that would get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> hey, if you're in love, you're in love. So. Can't choose who the heart falls for. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless if you're in jail or not. But um, <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of where all that sort of started. And then when Christianity took over in Rome, uh, the date February 14th was celebrated as St. Valentine's Day or uh, Feast of St. Valentine. Um, and I'm not going to get into the, all the details about all that. Uh, but that's kind of when it kind of turned over. Uh, and then as the tradition continued with that particular date, by the 1600s, the method of sending romantic, romantic messages uh, to one another, or to a significant other uh, grew. And then by the late 19th century, early 20th century, it became what we know of it today uh, with the date being commercialized with pre-made messages and giving significant others flowers, candy, jewelry, all these And a whole bunch of crap. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the short abridged version of uh-huh. Valentine's Day and kind of where it came from and kind of where it's gone and where we are today now with it. Because, so, yeah, I think they kind of said by 1910, it was where it really got that commercial, like commercialized. Let's let's start handing out cards and gifts and all that kind of stuff. So so it's about, you know, 100 years plus of what we know today, but it goes back a lot further than that to a certain extent mm-hmm. as to some of the traditions. Because there's always somebody wanting to make a buck off something, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so how does that in, unfold into the whole, because um, you are you were checking out different ways that Valentine's might not be all that ecologically friendly, I guess, in a way. Yeah, so I kind of picked a few things that I kind of considered as like, well, these are things that people generally give to one another on Valentine's Day. So I picked uh, gold, diamonds, they're kind of similar in what their environmental impacts are. Uh, Flowers, so specifically roses, or kind of the cut flower industry is kind of where Mm -hmm. I look more in detail on that. Uh, Chocolate, which kind of ties in with flowers because it's, you know, from the cocoa uh being and stuff uh and then uh paper cards or just you know valentine's day cards sure uh, so those were kind of the main ones that i was looking at so starting with gold or jewelry in general i mean has seen an increase in popularity over the years i mean gold has always been a standard for wealth power you know status in some form or another mm-hmm. and uh jewelry has seen an increase in popularity during valentine's day over many decades as it Again, yeah, shows a sign of wealth and significance towards the person receiving the gift. Um, mm-hmm. You know, indicates you got a lot of money to <laughs> spend on uh, this particular piece of jewelry for somebody. So, uh, so there's a greater significance than if you were to give somebody a thing of chocolate. But I mean, people have different preferences. Some people might even <laughs> might think that the chocolate is more meaningful than a, you know some gold jewelry or something. But yeah, well, I know the Aztecs and the Mayans was- did. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. So it's all relative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to some, they prefer the more extravagant gifts than the traditional flowers and chocolate. And with gold, diamonds as well are a popular choice for jewelry. And yeah, like they're kind of both hand in hand. I kind of, well, I mean, I don't know. It's very hard to pinpoint, you know, the stats for, well, I mean, maybe it's not, but I didn't want to get into too much detail. Probably. Yeah, I think generalizing uh, is good. It's a market of diamonds, yeah. <laughs> diamonds and golds, and <laughs> what, which one's doing better in terms of, you know, selling it around Valentine's Day or for Valentine's Day. The data was a little <laughs> tricky to find, and also I just didn't want to get into the minutiae of that. So anyways, uh, but mining for gold, mm-hmm. 
I was able to find and kind of just see them for my studies and whatnot. Like, I mean, mining for gold is a very intrusive uh, process and leaves little room to do it in a sustainable way, let alone being able to perform like effective restoration after the fact <laughs> you've mined the gold. Uh, Cause there's things like toxic waste that is created in many mining practices. And while some mining operations can have good policies to deal with it, a lot of operations do not and leads to compounding problems. So things like uh, open pit mining, uh, and specifically using uh, cyanide heap leaching, which is basically, you know, using cyanide to leach gold off. Like once you've kind of processed all the ore down to a certain point, you still have all the gold stuff within kind of all the rock. And to get that out, you use cyanide uh, leaching, heap mm -hmm. leaching, which gets kind of all the gold bits out. And then that's where you kind of are able to process just the gold and leave, get all the rock and other crap that you don't want out of the way so you can further process it into whatever you want to make the gold into. Um, so, but the problem with that is that because you're using cyanide and all these other heavy metals that are <laughs> coming out of that process, uh, from the leaching, the stuff leaches itself or can leach, uh, into, uh, nearby like groundwater tables. If it's yeah around there or just water bodies in general, because it's so soluble, but also sometimes it just gets dumped into natural water bodies or like into the ocean because it's just because again with those policies where the mining is happening kind of like in some of these third world countries where you know all these gold deposits are yeah it's very hard to not mandate but yeah kind of control <laughs> uh, well even even if there are guess, yeah even if there's i was gonna say if the, even if there are regulations in place it's really hard to enforce them right like yeah, because, you know, a lot of these operations, it's we, we're trying to get as much out of the ground as we can and and quick and dirty and cheap as possible. <laughs> so um, a lot of times, yeah, they don't want to take effort or like the companies themselves. Not saying every single company is like that, but you have to no, think like, <laughs> what have you ever heard of like a very <laughs> sustainable practice uh, for mining operations? Like <laughs> yeah. where, you, where you could almost be net zero in a way but like i haven't heard of that but maybe there's somewhere in a small town somewhere it's doing it but i haven't heard of it but anyways but with all these operations and how they're going with gold mining this can affect available drinking water in the area uh affect terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems if you're getting a whole bunch of cyanide <laughs> leached into them and you have all these habitats and um and people around there being affected and then tourism in some cases too so yeah, I could see that. Well, everything from from the even the even the wild animals that people may ingest, like the fish and that kind of thing. So they may not think initially it affects them, but then one day they go fishing or something, and then it's like, hey, I've got like mercury and all this stuff in my body now, <laughs> right? Like you just don't you don't know how far down the line it goes and where it comes back, right? So it's best just to not go down that road to start with. Um, yeah, so that's that's one thing. So maybe, you know, um, either upcycle jewelry that's already out there or maybe consider something else other than, uh, you know, gold or diamonds. Uh, just just putting it out there. Yeah, maybe pyrite. I don't know, because that's usually a... Well, actually, no, that's, I shouldn't say pyrite because that's a whole other issue in some cases. But Or, you know, what would be cool um, too is even if... Um, um on gold or diamond products if they could specify with diamonds it's probably less likely but with gold it is possible 
to find surface amounts of it. So if they could say something that would would uh, let people know this is a uh, non-mined gold or something like that, um, then it would let people know it's a more ecological choice than, yes, this was strip mined or <laughs> something, you know. <clears throat> well, diamond, um, now they have the lab-grown diamonds, right? Yeah, yes, synthetic yes. ones. So. Yeah. But it's, uh, well, to some people, it's not the same because you have yeah. to dig it out from the mine and then it has to be natural. You have to look at all those, like, criteria and like check the standards and everything and then diamonds are forever so <laughs> yeah yeah that's why i figure just keep recycling and sharing the ones we already have <laughs> oh yeah so last yeah, forever <laughs> but there's a yeah no it's never enough for people uh it's bringing back james bond moments for me anyway <laughs> continue with your your but, next point here i think but yeah speaking of diamonds uh so you know where there's gold there's diamonds usually and similar to gold diamonds are another valentine's day go-to gift that has some environmental concerns as well as social ones when it comes to sourcing and processing them so we kind of talked about with the environmental stuff like i mean it's the same thing like you're you're mining for it one way or another and it's the same issues of well if it's an open pit mine and you're using chemicals and what other uh methods to extract the diamonds out of the earth you're going to have some uh detrimental effects on surrounding ecosystems and the people living around there too. Uh, when you have a lot of the stuff leaching into groundwater tables and the soil erosion and all these other things that are happening. So yeah, on the environmental side, yeah, there's issues of toxic waste, uh, changing naturally established waterways. Cause a lot of times like we're, <laughs> they're diverting, you know, naturally occurring riverbeds or waterways and having to use that water for whatever processes that they're doing for the mining and that drastically changes the ecosystem that's around there and sometimes it's just you know complete loss of ecosystems because if you're degrading a whole area for open pit mining um yeah it's <laughs> you, you lose a whole bunch of them yeah there's deforestation and yeah i already said soil erosion um so again very similar to gold mining in that way but then there's also the social issue uh, issues where you know where a lot of these mining operations are occurring in third world countries usually um there's poor working conditions and usually a lot of these things that are potentially supporting you know civil wars and just general unrest in some of these countries so um so yeah <laughs> i i know there there has been at least on the diamonds i know that there are initiatives trying to like because you know i think people have heard of blood diamonds and whatnot but there are initiatives to you know let consumers know where you're getting your diamonds from and that these have been sourced and processed mm -hmm. more sustainable than um other ones but again it's not a perfect system but at least you know yeah. it's been established and it's trying to <laughs> do good when it comes to knowing where your diamonds and well, yeah, things it's, are being mined and processed from. Consumers being more aware and starting to ask for it, which will then turn around and change the companies to provide. Hence, like what, what Kevin was mentioning, they do have the lab manufactured diamonds now to kind of answer some of that. Yes, it's not going to appeal to everybody, but it will appeal to a lot of people, I think. And the alternative, I mean, if there if you can't find a better alternative, it's uh 
eventually a lot more people are going to turn to it just because of the ecological value. Although that being said, I don't know how much energy it takes to create uh, a diamond in a lab either because, because they may turn around after a while, find out, wow, it actually costs us more to make a diamond in the lab than it does to dig one out of the ground. Like, you know, there, you never know. It's just, there's a lot of different angles to look at and hopefully over time they'll figure out which is the best way overall. Yeah, I never, like, yeah, I knew of synthetic diamonds. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I never looked too much into the details of, yeah, how they're made and what the energy actually, uh, input output is. I was just looking at Google. Um, mm -hmm. says, lab-created diamond, it's not that great. The carbon footprint, it's actually, let's see, um, oh, it produces like 4,383 times more waste than, uh, what, what, what? And hopefully that's not a mining company stating that fact. <laughs> like, make sure it's not yeah, biased. It's just like, make yeah, sure it's, it's not just biased. Right. It's not even like um, peer-reviewed, so I don't know. I'll just cut this part out. We don't share that kind of information. <laughs> anyway, as a, okay. it, just, it just goes to, to check your information because maybe it's a, a science-based source or whatever, and it may be true. Or like I say, if it's backed up by the mining companies, it might not be your best choice. <laughs> So, or we could get Superman. Superman just come in, make diamonds by the carload, and it wouldn't cost much at all. Just buy him a hoagie. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway. So, yeah, with diamonds and gold, there is also flowers and specifically roses. Um, that's kind of your go to symbol uh, for Valentine's Day. So, when you mention Valentine's Day, the first thing that probably comes to mind is a bouquet of roses. And compared to gold and diamonds, as previously discussed, uh, roses are inexpensive and easy to give to a special someone. You don't have to worry about if you're picking the right diamond or gold jewelry piece and, you know, the <laughs> how much it's probably going to cost compared to a bouquet of roses. Um, and while some sources for roses can be local and sustainable, majority are most likely not local and take up a lot of energy, resources, and labor to get to your local florist shop because uh, much of the cut flower industry production is located in areas where the climate is uh, favorable. Like you're not going to see a big market for production in temperate places like Canada. <laughs> yeah, because you'd not have to, to have greenhouse like a, all months of the year just yeah, flaring. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whereas uh, places like Colombia, Ecuador, Kenya, Ethiopia, a lot of these places along the equator, um, yeah, they don't need greenhouses because the temperatures just perfect for or really good for just growing the stuff on wherever you're growing it um and oddly enough the netherlands accounts for approximately 10 percent of global production but makes up about 60 percent of global exports yeah which is a and that that's it's a lot thing to but think about. It, do, it does make sense from the standpoint that um the netherlands is a hub so they are really good at bringing stuff in shipping stuff out they can get stuff all, mm -hmm. all over all over the world relatively quickly um and of course with their background with um other cut flat like the tulips and that kind of thing um they're a big mm -hmm. greenhouse entity as well so but that being said the whole country's um, just mostly made up of greenhouses right <laughs> yeah but and and i know they the netherlands is um uh really working towards things everything from uh going carbon like net zero and changing their energy sources and improving stuff. But in the meantime, yeah, they 
just being a hub for transportation and that kind of thing, it's uh, a huge carbon footprint, I would think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we should, we should uh, talk to Klaus. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to talk to Klaus about that. He could uh, one about impact. That. Uh, one impact mm-hmm. of the production on the environment uh, is chemical pollution because the cut flower industry has a short production cycle. A lot of agriculture chemicals uh, and whatnot are required uh, to keep things going and make it efficient, which in turn leads to potentially, you know, leaching of these chemicals into nearby ecosystems. And because there aren't very, again, <laughs> it's kind of a common thing because there potentially might not be very stringent regulations or people to enforce those regulations on. Uh, these industries where they're being produced, uh, there tends to be an increase in amount of residues or there can be. Mm-hmm. So very similar to, yeah, all the mining stuff too with gold and diamonds that if nobody's looking, places are just going to continue what they're going to do and not really much oversight and <laughs> trying to prevent that. So, uh, but yeah, one other impact too with that is water usage. The cut flower industry is very water intensive. It puts a lot of stress on already water stressed countries because you know if you think of kenya in africa it's pretty hot mm-hmm. not a lot of <clears throat> available water um compared to other places and you know it's already you're already using so much water for you know <laughs> just growing things that you you know need to eat already so having a lot of this water being used for growing things that are going to be shipped out um, again, puts a lot of stress on the <laughs> water system hydrology uh, as mm-hmm. a whole. Um, and sometimes, you know, they have to uh, ship stuff out and whatnot. So, or ship stuff in and not out. Um, and then what else? Uh, and then as well, oh yeah, and then land conversion. Like, you need, you need a lot of space to uh, convert, you know, <laughs> areas that aren't really farmable, let's say, to start growing your roses or yeah. kind of flower industry production <laughs> and then it makes so, you wonder and a lot of that oh i was just gonna say yeah. then it makes you it makes you wonder um so if you're spending all those resources growing like flowers or something um knowing how many people are going hungry and thirsty and everything else maybe it might be a thought to uh think about converting it to food crops or something but i mean i'm sure there's a reason why they're doing maybe they, they, there's more money to be made and then they figure the money can go back to provide these other things for the people i'm, I'm not sure but it just seems yeah like- that's what i read is that the industry is pretty profitable for these countries at least for the cut flower production like it's pretty profitable but again it's like you have all these environmental impacts so <laughs> people living there probably aren't super keen other than for potentially having a job but again i can't yeah speak well, for the people actually working in these places to know how things actually are but just kind of researching and looking at you know a few articles and stories like yeah it seems like the industry does make quite a bit of money for these countries but uh at what cost i guess you could <laughs> exactly like to, to, it'd be interesting to find out um how much of the money actually stays in those countries or goes back to the the native populations versus some foreign investor pocketing more of the profits. I'm I'm not sure. Like maybe a lot more of the modern uh, flower production facilities are putting back more into the local communities. But my guess is there's still probably quite a few that haven't really changed their tune 
and they're probably trying to stick as much in their own pockets and then it's just the workers getting their base pay and that's probably about um, all the, the local money that's going in there. I could be wrong. Maybe things are changing, but it'd be interesting to find out. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just kind of a little tidbit um, doing my research, I found that, well, yeah, not surprising, China has emerged as being one of the largest importers and exporters of floral products in the world and continues to dominate the market. And it seems like they will be for the foreseeable future. Huh. Um, Did you know that, Kevin? I don't know. So it'll be interesting to. No, I don't know that, but like given the population, I would, yeah, I would expect that. Mm-hmm. But like people there, they treat those cut flowers as um, very higher class stuff. And they mm-hmm. have, I, 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 I know that when I was there, there were lots of the flower shops. And then people like, think it's like a huge deal. You're like a rich, higher class person if you go to that kind of shop all the time and you buy cut flowers. So yeah, I wonder if that's because because there's not so much available. Like, because when you think of like here in Canada or like the U.S. even, where people tend to have a little more space to grow stuff, like well, yeah, it'd be a luxury considering there's yeah. And I think yeah, yeah, you're right. Or even like see it, like being able to observe. Like I'm, I'm not saying that there's no like parks, like natural parks and stuff in China, but I think. Because we're so, <laughs> we have such more open space, let's say, that uh, people like in urban settings do have more access, I think. And it's not as a crazy thing to think, oh, well, you know, I see roses on my walk going here all the time. Whereas in China, it's like, well, if you're <laughs> in such a heavy, dense urban area, it's like you're not seeing those natural areas as often, I would think. That could be totally Yeah, and wrong, also but... I think they like, they actually like those flowers that they cannot grow locally. So they mm-hmm. like yeah. import flowers, like flowers from tropi- tropical areas that they cannot get. They think that's very fancy if you can get something that you cannot see around this area. Because um, I remember a couple of years ago when my uh, relatives, my uh, grandparents and my uncle, they came here to visit me. They saw the flowers that was growing in the greenhouse here. They're like, yeah, that's like for peasants. We don't even like those flowers. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's typical of most populations. Um, you always want you from afar right like you always want what you don't have it doesn't matter whether it's flowers or or something else it's just anything that is not familiar to you is more interesting because you don't see it every day so you you gravitate to it right and of course because it costs more to import it in of course it becomes a wealthier person's status symbol well i can afford to get this therefore you know i'm higher up on the ladder so Mm -hmm. uh yeah so Another another thing that a lot of people like to get for Valentine's Day is chocolate. And, and I got to say, I love again, chocolate. it's very similar to... <laughs> I love chocolate. Yay. <laughs> uh, well, I know one person who doesn't eat chocolate. What? What, are we, do- are we doxing me right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I eat enough chocolate for both of us, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so with chocolate, there's many chocolate products that are made from, you know, mainly from uh, cacao beans, which are primarily sourced from South America, or in these, you know, kind of tropical areas along the equator. Uh, 
you know, so other places like Indonesia, Nigeria, and the Ivory Coast. And with chocolate production, similar to the flower industry, uh, water, like the production is very land and water intensive, um, and therefore has a significant impact of, you know, local and global ecosystems, which, you know, kind of talked about previously. Uh, and then a prominent study out of the UK uh, looked into the environmental impacts of chocolate production and consumption. And in their summary, they found that roughly about 10,000 liters of water is needed to produce one kilogram of chocolate. So that's a lot. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that's commercially to too. Because um, I, yeah. I can speak to when we went to Belize, it was so cool. We got to go to a cacao plantation. So we saw right from the farmer all the way through to their little local manufacturing facility and there they still do it the old the mayan way so they've got the grinding stones and they render it down into the cocoa butter and then they've got the, like they, they've got this whole thing um <clears throat> which might be a little bit more labor intensive human wise but very little machinery and yes um, you can't get that bigger volume like the commercial scale does. However, a lot more eco-friendly. And if you think about it, it would provide a lot more jobs. And if you didn't ship it maybe quite as far, like at least with the Belizeans, they're, they're pretty much shipping on the continent. They're not going across all over everywhere too much so it becomes a little more feasible that way even though it sounds like well you can't get as big you know you, you couldn't be like hershey or one of those companies right but uh anyway mm -hmm. something to think about continue i love chocolate though but yeah so, so yeah they use <laughs> that much water for a kilogram of chocolate uh and then land use change associated with uh cacao production increases uh, total global warming potential, or GWP, by about three to four times. Yeah, they never really get into too much detail about that, but just, you know, on the surface level, like, <laughs> you're tripling, quadrupling um, how much global, war global warming potential, I guess, is occurring just from changing up a landscape to produce cacao. And again, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of this stuff is very based on commercial stuff. Compared to what you were talking about, Don, where yeah, you do have these smaller countries, smaller areas where you're not having these big, you know, factories and facilities where it's you know all down to the assembly line. It's very local, very <laughs> maybe it's, more time consuming, but yeah, not as, it's you know, it, but it's definitely more green. Like even the 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 plantations. So down in, down in Belize, for example, um, they do more of what we're talking about up here with the biodiversity planting multiple species that kind of thing because cacao is a uh, uh needs to, it's an understory uh smaller tree so it needs to grow under the protection of something else so down there these guys will plant like citrus or something and then have the cow mm -hmm. blow it and then they still have ground cover of other whether it's medicinal plants or whatever. So they, they've got all kinds of things going on. So you walk onto this plantation and until the farmer pulls off a cacao pod, you're, you're kind of like, where, when does the plantation start? Where, where am I? Cause you kind of feel like you're still in the jungle or somewhere. Right. But I could imagine um, mm -hmm. a lot of these, again, like I say, bigger commercial operations, especially considering you're talking about places over in Africa and stuff. Um, as far as I know, cacao is not even native to there. It was brought over from the South American area and set up over there. So it's going to be a whole different thing over there, right? Yeah. 
but um and then yeah one uh, one other aspect of that too is it's not just the cacao beans that you're uh putting into your chocolates also you have to source out the milk or milk powder uh sugar and palm oil as well so those are mm-hmm. all these other things that are can be pretty labor intensive as well as you know land intensive and to <laughs> grow all these different crops at such a mass volume to be able to process it to make it worth it um so yeah there's that and then so the global warming potential uh, could be reduced in uh, in these uh, production uh, facilities they say roughly between 14 90 percent through various improvements and some of those options include for example like you know for getting your milk or the milk powder eventually being processed uh, changing the cow feed to be more sustainable so instead of using whatever feed that you're normally going to use substitute it for something that's more sustainable to grow and produce and get to the cows um also sourcing chocolate from ethically sourced production so we kind of talked about that where yeah maybe it's more of these local smaller operations that you mm-hmm. get your chocolate from versus the big ones yeah using less intrusive or chemically heavy methods to manage crops and potentially finding ways to be more efficient with chocolate waste because that's apparently a big thing too is there's so much chocolate that's wasted and how much energy and you know global global warming emissions that or greenhouse gas emissions that get produced for having to process the waste and whatnot so yeah makes me sad (laughs) it makes me so sad (laughs) um and then yeah the last thing i wanted to talk about was valentine's day or just cards in general um Mm -hmm. and yeah mainly talk about paper cards so usually for valentine's day you know card is kind of accompanied by whatever other gift you're probably giving someone uh and then simply put you know they're made out of paper so uh, deforestation is a big issue when it comes to <laughs> how much you have to you know process a tree to get all these cards to be made or to make abundance of them and the sad thing is that most of the cards you know are not really made to be recyclable usually mm-hmm. like i mean i think now it's a little more people are more conscious like both production and uh, consumers are a little more conscious about well you know i kind of want to get things that are you know mixed paper or some sort of recyclable material versus what usually what cards are made up of is you know usually they'll have like a gloss or something on them so you can't really recycle it exactly um, yes and even and process it down even burn like if you want to use them as fire starter then they give off all those toxic gases because of the coating right it's not like regular paper yeah so yeah, there's that, and then there's also like you know cars that have glitter on them. There's a whole bunch of microplastics uh, with that glues, and then, you yeah, know, glues, and then also there's uh, electronic components in some of these. Like you know, if there's singing or right. whatever kind of you know ones that light up or whatnot, you have all these electronic components in them, and sometimes those don't get properly disposed of because whoever thinks about oh I've got to make sure that I take the lights out or the battery or whatever out of this car before I throw it out. And actually, sometimes that can lead to uh, issues at landfills where, you know, fires get started <laughs> because uh, people just throw in the garbage and not realize that, well, this could short circuit and spark a fire in a landfill. <laughs> or it's really irritating because the cards keep trash. singing. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, although that's another way, way you could recycle is people get annoyed, so they rip them out before they put them in the recycling. That's... <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, cards that never stop until you destroy it. <laughs> yeah, but that, I guess uh, that points yeah, out. Of... Kind of the... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of a, a delay here, so I apologize if I'm over over talking. I was just going to say that points out um, again. Be a an educated buyer. So there's lots of other things other than cards that you could be getting. Um, but if you are going to get a card, electronic cards. At least, at least try to get something that might be a little bit more ecologically minded. So maybe it's made. It, it'll specify that it's on recycled paper or craft paper, which it still uses resources, but not as badly as some of the other more chemicalized or or multifaceted processes. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe you could give somebody a stone with some etching on it instead, or something. Um, you know. Or sometimes be, be just don't even give a card, like just say it yeah. to somebody. <laughs> Nowadays, there's e-cards. I mean, for crying out loud, there's the internet. You can do it that way. You can video yourself or or whatever, um, or or give something more more useful. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know, but uh, but yeah, there's lots of ways you can look at it. Anyway, doesn't have to be all the multi layers of not just paper, but all the other stuff they put in with these fancy cards that make them. Um, not even recyclable, like Dan was saying. So, yeah. Yeah, but anyways, so that's kind of the main ones that I picked out. I mean, there's so many different gifts that people give out these oh, days. Yeah. But I think but those I think are kind of the traditional ones that you think of as yeah. like jewelry, so sure. gold and diamonds, flowers, uh, chocolates, and, car- and, and the then cards. cards. Yeah, and it still gives people a lot to think about because just with those items, there's a lot you can do and just be a little more thoughtful with um, not just at Valentine's, but at any time of the year to be a little bit more ecologically sensitive, right? So, no, that's awesome because mm-hmm. I, I don't think a lot of people even think twice when Valentine's or a birthday or Christmas or anything comes. Like, they just start wrapping their gifts or doing their thing. And really, if you if just spent a few moments, you'd be like, wow, uh, look at how much of a carbon footprint I'm actually supporting by doing this versus I could do something else that would be just as nice, but a lot more eco-friendly, right? So something to think about. Any final thoughts from you, Kevin? No. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably eating chocolate right now. (laughs) No, I was actually, uh, as, as Dan was talking, I was actually... Uh, searching for what's the uh, ethical, what's some ethical chocolate we can get here. Well, mm-hmm. it turns out most stuff you buy from the grocery store, it's not that no, ethical. No, no, no. You'd have so to go to a special, you'd have to go to, yeah. You'd have to go to specialty shops or whatever. Or like I say, if you, if you know, um, because of like some experience or whatever, like I know I look for Belizean uh, chocolate because I've seen it right from the, like, right into the plantation all the way up to the processing and whatever. Um, but it's funny here. If you do manage to find something like raw cacao beans or anything like that, usually it ends up being from the other side, like from um, uh, Ecuador or uh, um, on the, anyway, on the other side of uh, versus like the West side versus the, the East side of central and South America. Um so I'd have to look into more of their chocolates, but yeah, at least I know from what I've, from what I've actually experienced, the Belizean chocolate is if you're going to get chocolate, it's probably your best bet. I know it still costs to import it and everything, 
but at least if you're going to get chocolate, you know that it's been produced as ethically as possible. And you are, you definitely are supporting local people in the communities down there because they are the ones that have their hands in it right from the farming to the processing to everything. Um, so it's a, a fair trade type of arrangement, but yeah. Yeah. So lesson for Valentine's Day. Don't buy Nestle. Don't buy Ferrero. Don't buy Lindt. Those are evil companies. Um, but on the <laughs> other hand, but IKEA, they have ethically sourced chocolate, and they are yep, not that expensive. I can see that. So I go to IKEA. Yeah. Now the question is, do you have to build your own chocolate? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why it's cheap because you have to put them together. That's and not how, a nice yeah, thing. The ingredients, so you have to make it. Yeah. Well, that's another cool thing. Uh, I know, I know how to make like traditional chocolate now thanks to the belizeans and it's actually other than it's a lot of elbow grease and you need a few tools it's actually not that hard because most of everything you're using comes right from that cacao bean you're not you're not using all the other stuff the other stuff is um kind of a bastardized version of the the chocolate so by putting the milk in and by putting the sugar and stuff like that that's not true chocolate really the the north americans do that to sweeten it up and make it taste better but that's not real chocolate and for people who have had real chocolate um you don't need to eat as much but it has such a better buttery creamy taste to it no it's not sweet but it it wow it's just amazing and then a little goes a long way right but if you really want your sugary stuff you can still add your your sweetener into it it's just you know then you know you're going to be bringing something else into the mix as well anyway just my two cents uh but yeah so that would be a, i guess what, what would we call that a, a thought for valentine's to give your gifts a little bit more ethically when you're when you're considering valentine's or any other yeah. uh holiday for that matter yeah so uh i guess on that note uh we will as always suggest that you guys please download us subscribe like us check us out on facebook go to our websites uh share with us wh whatever it is just acknowledge that uh you're listening and you're out there because we love you guys and we want to spread the word of uh, how to regenerate your landscapes. Thanks. And yeah, just engage. Like, you know, it's nice to have some feedback and let us know what you like, what you don't like and how we can improve because we're always learning and we're, you know, we're a year and a little bit into this and we're still learning. Yeah. And it helps for yeah. people listening to us to, yeah, tell us, tell us what you like, what you don't. And awesome. what we can do to improve. All right. See you next time.